five years ago, we might have said that a fully equipped restaurant that wasn't making any cash flow at the time, but had everything in it, might sell for sixty or seventy thousand dollars. Today, it may sell for two hundred thousand because supply chain issues have made it so hard to get that second fryer and the six burner stove that you need to equip a, a restaurant. So, asset sales in the past two years, because of supply chain issues and because of the number of restaurant owners that want to just go in and turn the keys on that new space and just change the paint, that's actually driven some of that pricing up. Hey there, it's Roger, and welcome back to the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. Thanks for joining me. My guest today is Robin Gagnon, the founder and CEO of We Sell Restaurants. What an opportune time to be discussing the state of the market, the due diligence process, what buyers are looking for. Whether you're thinking of selling your restaurant now or in the future, Robin is a wealth of information. We'll also be speaking about the systems you need in your business to put your house in order in order to optimize the value and obviously get the most money you can. So don't miss this episode. Thanks also to our sponsors this week, Verge Funding, Pop Menu, The Birthday Club, and all the systems you need are in the Restaurant Rockstars Academy. So check that out at restaurantrockstars.com. Now, on with the episode. You're tuned in to the Restaurant Rockstars Podcast. Powerful ideas to rock your restaurant. Here's your host, Roger Bodwin. Listen, you've heard a lot of noise about the ERC tax credit. Why is it such a big deal? Because your business already paid a ton of money in payroll taxes, and more than likely, you qualify to get a ton of money back. Now, if you haven't applied yet, I'm telling you, drop everything. Drop what you're doing and figure out how to get it done. The truth is, and I'm speaking from experience here, it's super easy to get the money back if you let an expert do the work for you. Now, get on this before the government either changes the program or runs out of money. I got hundreds of thousands of dollars back from my restaurant, and it literally saved our business. Now, you may have heard it may take many months after applying to get your money back, but that doesn't have to be the case. If you need your ERC refund sooner to run your business or to take care of some much-needed projects, you can speak with Karen Garbett, the owner of Verge Funding Group, about a bridge loan or other working capital. Now, whether you wait for your check, opt for a bridge loan or other working capital, it's likely you have a significant amount of money due back to you, so don't lose it. Now go to the show notes for this episode on our website and use Karen's calendar link to set up a time to chat with her personally about how much money your business can get back. Rockstars, there are many elements to consider when growing your restaurant. Are you connecting with diners enough and with the right message? Could your kitchen be putting out more orders than your dining areas have room for? Well, it can be overwhelming, especially when the reason you got into this business is for the food and the people. That's why restaurants get Pop Menu. Pop Menu is the marketing tech platform designed to make growing your restaurant easy, so you don't have to grow it alone. With Pop Menu, you can capture more guests and their preferences through your restaurant's website that's designed to easily collect contact information and data so you can see what your guests love and why they dine with you. Connect and build authentic relationships with guests by using modern technology that personalizes marketing. Make all your systems work better together, improve margins, and conquer the chaos of your restaurant's digital presence. Pop Menu has a special offer for my listeners. For a limited time, get $100 off your first month, plus lock in one unchanging monthly rate at popmenu.com slash rockstars. Go now to get $100 off your first month at popmenu.com slash rockstars. This is a really, really informative episode. It's all about selling restaurants. So welcome to the show, Robin. Thanks for being here. So excited. This is my favorite topic, Roger. I'm ready to go. This is a huge topic. And I've been through this process several times myself, and it can be complicated and certain things need to be put in place. But before we get into all the detail of selling restaurants, can you give us a little history of your company, WeSellRestaurants.com? When was it established and how long have you been at this? Absolutely. So Roger, about uh, two decades ago, my husband and I both left the corporate world. He was in Big Five Accounting and I was in a Fortune 100 company doing marketing and advertising. And we said, you know, there has to be a better way for restaurant owners to 
experience this capital event, give themselves an exit strategy, because we have this uh, very large disparate group of business brokers out there who will handle everything from a car wash to a daycare center. But no one is specialized in the industry that has the most turnover, has arguably the most intricacies in uh, selling and in buying. And we said, you know what, we're going to be that company. We started, as I said, 21 years ago now, very close to the amount of time we've been married. And we decided to franchise our brand. So we found the URL, WeSellRestaurants.com, argued with multiple trademark attorneys that said, oh, you'll never get that trademarked because it's too generic. Of course, we said, well, you know what? We'll just find another attorney and moved on from that. And um, ultimately, now we work in 45 states and help people nationwide um, experience the exit strategy they need um, so they can move on to the next part of their life. That is a wonderful story. Let me ask you, if you go back in time two decades, did either of you have any prior hospitality experience or is that something you had to learn in order to speak with restaurant owners and understand their business? So my husband had absolutely no restaurant experience at all. Um, I waited tables as most American women did or, or females and males, you know, jump into and do what you have to do during college to make uh, make ends meet. So I waited tables, but we weren't restaurant owners. So no, we were learning the business from the inside out. Well, terrific. Well, you must know everything about it by this point. You've seen just about everything, I'm sure. How many transactions would you say you've completed over that amount of time? Could you even put a number to it? Thousands. We sell literally more restaurants than anyone else in the U.S. And we look at all the data being compiled by BizBuySell, which is this giant business for sale marketplace. They send us the restaurant data every quarter. So I actually analyze what's going on nationwide. So I can see that our share is growing as the units of transactions, uh, as units increase over the Mm -hmm. years, um, which is exciting. It's exciting to be in a growth industry. But when you're selling restaurants, you're never going to be out of a job, Roger. Someone always wants to buy. Someone always needs to sell. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Well, you certainly have an excellent track record and a sell, you know, sell through rate. And it's, it's quite amazing because Well, things have changed quite a bit because obviously the pandemic threw everything sideways. Did you find any kind of a slowdown during the pandemic? Was it harder to sell properties during the pandemic? I mean, no one knew what was happening. I mean, tell us about that whole thing pre-pandemic and then what happened in, say, March of, you know, 2020. You know, March of 2020 is that date that will live in infamy, right, for this generation. Um, And for us, we woke up that day and learned just like everyone else that our restaurant properties were, you know, for the most part shut down or were able to do very limited business. And we had to be very careful because our name says we sell restaurants. We did not want to come across as being um, aggressive or reaching out when times were down. So we really resorted our business model. So beginning in March of 2020, And pretty much until the end of the year, we said, okay, we're going to put sales on hold. And instead, we're going into uh, assistance and advice and counsel mode. So we, I must have written 50, 65 articles and learned more about PPP, um, EIDL, every form of assistance that um, restaurants could get. We sent out newsletters and said, you know what, if your landlord's charging you full boot, Call us. We'll renegotiate for you. No charge. Let us help you. Because restaurant owners didn't know where to go. They didn't know how to turn, you know, and they were told so many conflicting things. And franchises had a little bit easier, right? Because they had a franchisor that was assimilating all this information and helping them. Independent restaurants were on their own. So we were, you know, this is how you calculate what you can get for the PPP. Now spend it really quick. Oops, the government was kidding. Don't spend it that quick. Now there's another run. Here's how you get forgiven. I mean, it was absolutely a nightmare and um, for our for our customers. And so we just said, you know what? We're going to do what we can to help. So um, that second quarter transactions obviously just slowed to a trickle, and we just didn't we didn't push to put anyone into a listing agreement. 
Um, by third quarter, they started to pick up. And by fourth quarter of 2020, we the industry in total, if you looked at what Biz Buy Sell result uh, reported that year, was down um, about 57% in unit transactions. By fourth quarter, we were up 77%. So the market was with us. They listened to the advice. They they appreciated it. And I still get calls today from sellers who say, listen, I was reading everything you were writing. I used that worksheet to help me calculate this. Or, you know, I didn't know that about EIDL, but thank you for sharing. Mm-hmm. And now I'm ready to sell and and I want to call on you to help me. Well, you know, that was a beautiful pivot of yours and what a noble service you provided the industry. And you can't necessarily put a number on the amount of businesses that you probably helped to save with that information because you know, people, like you said, the independent restaurateur was completely blindsided. And then they're still trying to run their property under different conditions, closed conditions, pivot the business, do all this stuff. And at the same time, they've got to somehow research and be tenacious about getting all this money that's going to disappear really quickly if they're not first in line, which is exactly what happened. And you kind of did the research for them, helped them through this. So one, thank you very much. You you helped the industry quite a bit. And then look at the goodwill that you established for your company when people decided, okay, it's time to sell. I'm going to go with them because, I mean, that's that's credibility and goodwill and just part of this industry that's a business of relationships. So thanks for sharing that. That was tremendous. Well, you know, this industry is, it's a generous industry. They're first to be called upon in a small town when somebody needs a, a helping hand. You know, it's the local restaurant owner who pitches in and helps out the the softball team or helps out someone who's in need or runs a fundraiser. And the restaurant industry really needed every single one of us. And they still do. You know, I have such a place in my heart for the industry. We Our book, Appetite for Acquisition, um, came out in 2012. I really need to update it. But I really talk about restaurants in that book. In my mind, they're the fabric of our culture. That's where we go. You know, the original uh, the original interaction of men and women comes from the Bible with the breaking of bread and the drinking of wine. And that is the industry. That's the industry we're a part of. And it's so meaningful. And um, we came very close to having a lot of people just throw in the towel and say, we're not going to move forward. So we had to get in there and do what we could. Yeah. Restaurants are definitely the great unifier and it brings people of all cultures and races and you know, gender identities and you name it. It is such a diverse industry, not only in terms of the staff and teams of restaurants, but in the guests we serve. And it is the one common unifying thing that makes everyone feel good. And you're right. It is part of the fabric of, of not only just our country, but the world in general. So you're absolutely right about that. So this is a, or can be a daunting process. If someone's thinking about where do I begin? I I've, I've come to the point where I need to sell my restaurant, maybe out of necessity because of health issues, maybe because people want to retire, maybe because they just need that exit strategy so they can just spend more time with family and friends. And they are, you know, maybe they're tied to their property and they're just tired of that. So let's talk about there is probably no typical client, and you've probably worked with every type of restaurant owner and operation. But if we could just you know, put this whole process in context for the audience, someone who's listening, who might be ready to sell or thinking about selling, or even keep it in mind because next month or next year, they might be ready. What would the process start with and what should they be thinking about to get their house in order? Well, that that's a very uh, key phrase that you use, just use to get your house in order because anyone in the industry goes through you know, three times a week when someone calls out or the truck doesn't show up or you can't, you know, get the special out the door, Mm -hmm. thinks, I just need to sell this place. But the reality is you really need to set things up and begin thinking about an exit strategy before it's time to pull the the trigger. And that starts with the financial fundamentals of the business, right? Understanding, making sure that your house is in order, that you have a profit and loss statement, that you have tax returns, that back up the earnings that are on there and also not be disheartened if you look at that um, that tax return and there's no money at the bottom on the bottom line or negative earnings and think my business has no value. Um, so the CPA that does your taxes is working at odds with me. 
He's working to make sure you pay the government the least possible Correct. amount of money. Yes. I'm working to get you the most possible amount of money on the outcome. So there's a process that a, that a restaurant worker goes through where they actually recast your tax return and P&Ls and, and aggregate the amount of actual value you receive as an owner. So the process is to get your books in order, then let someone who really understands the industry do that recasting and get to this number called seller's discretionary earnings, uh, sometimes called seller's discretionary cash flow or even owner benefit. Right. But right. what does a single owner operator really benefit from that? And because for so many owners, Roger, there's the tax structure requires that we lump every expense we can. So you may be you know, putting all your personal auto expense in there, all of your cell phone expense, mm -hmm. all those things are legal and they're acceptable under the tax code. But when you get ready to sell it, those things have to be added back in a way that the new owner looks at it and says, this is the real benefit to me, plus whatever I get in W-2 earnings, plus whatever profits on the bottom line. Thank you so much for sharing that. You know, we went through that process several times and it really starts with net income, but then you're adding back all the benefits that an owner takes, whether that's a salary, bonuses, health and life insurance, company vehicles, cell phones, um, anything that um, you know, bonuses and incentives for the employees, all these things that a new owner may or may not decide to carry forward with. But if they decide to change that business model, then that opens up and frees up quite a bit of cash that literally does have additional value. So thanks so much for sharing that. Absolutely. So it's exciting. You've been through this process. So you've had to tear your hair out a few times. <laughs> from oh, my know, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. ahead. Now, I was just going to say from our perspective, the, that person who is the restaurant broker is juggling many hats. We're like quarterbacking a transaction. So on the one hand, you're working with the seller and, and helping them to understand what the true value is of the business. Then you're you know, wearing that marketing hat to distribute information about the business, but keep it confidential, right? So you're trying to scream to the world, buy this business, but oh, I'm not going to tell you uh, what it is until you're under a confidentiality agreement. And we've seen proof of funds because that's concerning for a business owner that the word would get out. Then your staff leaves and all kinds of terrible things happen. You're absolutely right. And that is definitely a pitfall. And we definitely crossed that bridge several times. And and it's, it's, well, human nature. There's a lot of people out there that are uncomfortable with change. And as soon as they find out that there's a first sale sign on the business, they start heading for the lifeboats in some cases. And it may, in, in fact, turn out to be a, you know, a blessing in disguise. The new owner may have new, fresh ideas, may be a wonderful person to work for, may give tremendous benefits and good pay. But until they know who that new person is, it's like, yeah, a lot of business owners want to keep it confidential, yet they're still trying to cast a broad net to attract buyers without anybody finding out. And sometimes that's those two things are in conflict with each other. How do you deal with that? I mean, how do, what's your best advice to someone in order to attract buyers quickly, yet to keep the staff sort of, you know, assaged or, or not feeling like something's going upside down here. Or the reason I'm selling is this place is failing and you're not going to have a job next week. I mean, you see right. that. You know? That's the reality, right? So I say it starts with finding the right resource. So when someone comes to our website, for example, we sell restaurants.com, they inquire about a listing. They don't know what it is. It may say fast, casual sandwich shop for sale. Um, it may or may not identify the town that it's in, but it's going to give great descriptive information to draw that buyer in and give them enough of a look to then take that next step. And the next step is to always acknowledge confidentiality. We put everybody under a confidentiality agreement. It's my mother. She's going to sign a confidentiality agreement, right? And then make sure that the resource you're working with really ascribes to getting proof of funds in place. I tell everybody, hey, I go from the Jerry Maguire School of Business. You have to show me the money. There are too many people right. that want to get into the industry, but maybe they have an investor or they have a friend or they're going to borrow 100%. Well, you're not going to get into the restaurant business that way. So we have to make sure we're spending our time with qualified candidates that yes, we can get qualified for lending, but they upfront, there's a minimum price of entry, right? The landlord's not going to approve you for a location without 
at least a, a strong credit and some cash in the bank. So a lot of people think you can get into the business with no money down. That's really not the case. You really do have to have a financial stake. So those two things, qualify the buyer financially and get that confidentiality agreement in place. And, and what I tend to find is once somebody signed a confidentiality agreement and shared a bank statement with me, because I won't take a personal financial statement or a letter from a bank, I need mean, you have to show me the money. And when that happens and we have something so private of theirs, then they then honor and respect the agreement that we have in place and they keep the listing itself very confidential and private. So we don't have as many problems, but it's a concern. Um, and then, then you move from that into we get into a, a deal. We put get into an asset purchase agreement. And again, this is where I see so many restaurant owners get into some sticky waters because they will have a, a resource that maybe just puts them in an LOI, a letter of intent. And in my mind, a letter of intent is nothing more than let me just have a free look at the business and not really commit to anything. So we really force, not force, but if you're truly interested in the business, then pony up escrow, put it into an asset purchase agreement. And let's understand up front is if you get two people into an LOI, seller's going to run to his lawyer. The buyer's going to run to his lawyer. And before you know it, all you have is a bunch of legal fees and no outcome that works for either party. Thanks for sharing that. You know, a little word to the wise. I want to share my most recent experience. Um, before the pandemic, I sold two restaurants in 2014. They were strong cash flow, really good deals, and everything was great. And I thought I was out of the business. And then just before the pandemic hits, we had the brilliant idea of buying another restaurant, went through all the, everything you talked about of being, being resourceful, getting all the available cash. We pivoted that business numerous times you know, literally pulled every seat and booth out of it and turned it into a grab and go market concept. But then we were approached by a buyer in early 2021. And, you know, I was about to expand the business at that point. We had big plans to do something with another piece of, um, well, another building that was on site that would have been a really great concept. And all of a sudden somebody comes out of the woodwork and is interested in our property. We owned the real estate, of course. And I, my very first question is, this was January of 2021. And my first question is, well, how soon would you be willing to close? And they said, not until November. So literally, you know, 10 months later. So I knew that that wasn't going to go through. So two weeks later, we get approached by another broker that has another interested party. We weren't even listed for sale. They're just right. someone has, you know, is really attracted to your property. And now this was an offer, a bona fide offer of, like a, a price you couldn't say no to is far in excess of what we paid for the property. We didn't own it for a very long time. So we went under contract and the building and the property and the restaurant appraised for the asking price and the financing was in place. And then that person decided they wanted that it was very important to do a major renovation of the property to adapt it to their concept and to add on to the building. And this is at the point where, you know, labor and materials costs were at an all time high. And now suddenly, based on the cost of renovations, it did not appraise for the additional amount they needed to borrow to complete the sale. So to make this long story end, the deal <laughs> fell through at the 11th hour after all the employees knew that the, the place was under contract to be sold. And with this renovation, this new person wasn't going to be able to open the business for several months. So people then had to go on unemployment and some of these people would be interviewed oh. to be hired back. And we literally were ready to close the sale. And then at the last minute, the deal falls through, the financing falls through, and we're stuck with a non-going concern now because all the employees moved on. We had to shutter the business and sell it as a piece of oh real estate gosh. that was once a, a restaurant. <laughs> so obviously, you can see how the valuation came down from that amazing price. And there was a happy ending. We still did okay. And who ended up buying it several months later? The guys that said, we're going to close in November. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Isn't that funny? So we still sold, but these are the pitfalls that I'm sure you run into. Deals are not always smooth. They're not always straightforward. And, and with the best of intentions, you know, the parties come together and sometimes things do go awry. And I'm sure you've seen some of that. Absolutely. And, you know, every scenario you just described, <clears throat> I'm sorry, I got a little choked on something there. No every scenario you just uh, described, we've lived through, you know, financing that fails. 
And I think that's really where the restaurant broker comes into play because they are um, playing that quarterback and then really holding the deal together, keeping the bank in the game, keeping the landlord in the game. And when things go wrong, it's that thinking on your feet to say, oh, gosh, landlord won't approve the buyer. Okay, how do we get extra months of deposit, bring a partner on to solidify the financial position? You know, get the seller to stay on for six months until he pays on time for six. Like you're always thinking. And for some people, I'll actually tell you, my daughter told me this, like she works in our firm and she was like, you love the deal. Like when you're in the heat of the deal and things are falling apart, that's when you're the happiest because you're fixing and solving. And she's like, it's the part that drives me crazy. So it's not for everyone because you have to have a strong constitution and be willing to really problem solve right out of the box up to the day of the closing. For sure. And what a valuable service that is to provide because I I love the word quarterback because you're absolutely totally right on when, when you say that. And you're guiding someone through a process that chances are they've never been through before. You're looking out after their best interests, all the what ifs and what could possibly go wrong. And you're doing everything you can to make sure that that deal goes through at a, a reasonable price that, well, we're going to get into valuation next, but that's <laughs> that's a great um, explanation. What's the current state of the market? Is it a good time to sell right now? So it's kind of interesting. Um, I just got the latest numbers for first quarter, and I believe that nationwide restaurant sales transactions were up about 5% and selling prices fell about 3%. Mm -hmm. Our firm is actually, we feel very blessed. We are about 25% in first quarter and our selling prices were ahead of last year. Um, But nationwide, yes, we're seeing some slowing. Last year in first quarter, transactions were 42% ahead of the prior year. So it's it's very intriguing to me because I would have thought there would have been a softening in the market last year when people were just, you know, inflation was at its worst, supply chain was maxed out, like yeah. restaurant owners, you had to think, you know, I, I talked to a lot of restaurant owners that I say, like, at, now they're three years in, they're just exhausted. They're just like, get me out of the restaurant. You know, they they went through COVID, they survived it, they got through the next year. And now they're just like, it's enough. I I need to move on. And at the same time, our buyers were up 30 and 40% in buyer inquiries. Like everybody loves this business and they want to get in. So the market is actually very good. Uh, I'm seeing more sellers hold paper than ever before. Not necessarily the whole note, but um, even the SBA lenders are wanting to see a seller hold back 10%. That's nothing. If you're getting the number that you want for the business, hold a note for 10% and that and then you'll you'll get through the lending process. But I think we will have another couple of quarters of slowdowns just because I think it's taken a while for everything that's happening in the marketplace to kind of uh flush through what's happening in the restaurant business. But last year in all of 2022, more restaurants, restaurant sales were ahead of all other small business sales. So there was, there's great velocity in the marketplace and things are turning over. So are you seeing strong activity with the small business administration backing commercial lenders? And is, you know, is that process pretty well solid at this point? I know at one point they were, uh, well, the banks have always been risk averse towards restaurants, but obviously the uh, the small business administration has been a huge lifeboat for that whole process to go through. And I'm sure you work hand in hand with that agency. Yes, we do. And, and here's what I would tell you is that the, um, there are multiple everybody people misconfuse this or confuse this about the lending marketplace, but the SBA charter allows for every bank in America to do SBA lending. Now, you and I both know, Roger, that doesn't mean that because you can do something means you should do something. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're very, very particular about working only with what are called PLP or preferred lenders which means they've done so many deals with the SBA that you're not packaging up the loan, which is what your local person at the uh, Bank of America or somewhere is going to do, package up a loan and send it out to California. And this is when you hear the horror stories. Then the SBA gets it out there and they find the comma on the third page is in the wrong place and they ship it back up and they send it back out. And then 
you know, a month later, you get it back and you make the change and you ship it back again. A PLP or preferred lender means they've done so much lending for the SBA, they underwrite in the bank's office. So it's not being shipped to California to be worked directly by the SBA. And that path to closing is so much faster. I mean, we see deals. I've literally closed an SBA deal in 29 days. I was on the clock with a seller who had to be out, was moving, had to be out. And we did it in 29 days. But generally speaking, I can have lending with the SBA ready before I can get the landlords moving. The landlord's the biggest impediment to closing any deal. Yeah, let's talk about that. The percentage of leaseholds versus um, businesses you represent that actually own the real estate. Is there a, high, a much higher percentage, of course, because very few oh, people yeah. own the it, real I mean, estate? It's, it's probably 90% mm, just okay. leaseholds instead yeah. of, of owning the real estate. Now you'll find, now we have certain markets like, We have a franchisee in Kansas City, and almost everything he's sold has been with real estate. But then Atlanta, it's all just, you know, leasehold improvements. And the one chapter of our book that we wrote is the landlord is not your friend because they are absolutely the greatest. I don't it's they want the personal guarantees. They want the money. It's just a very tough situation working with landlords and on transfers in particular. They have no interest in working on a transfer because they already have a guy in there on the hook paying the rent. So what's their incentive to work with someone new? It's not like they have the empty space and they need to lease it. It's an unknown entity. And well, in a lease contract, are there lots of uh, in the terms, non-assignable lease contracts that you're seeing? And how do you break those? And how do you, how does a seller get past that roadblock of the landlord? So every lease will have an assignment and subletting clause, but too many of them just leave all of that control in the hand of right. the landlord himself. I would think so. So the, the first role to be able to transfer this easily is never get into that lease in the first place without some very good assignment and subletting language in there. Like don't just sign the boilerplate language that the landlord throws your way. So if you're out there listening because you haven't yet signed your restaurant lease, don't sign it without really talking with someone on the business terms of the assignment, because all you have to do is build some language in there that says, hey, Mr. Landlord, you agree that if I ever sell this to a new franchisee of the same concept, they're automatically approved. Or I bring you a tenant with a net worth of X and liquidity of Y so that it's very um, black and white and the landlord can't play games with it. What they typically have is this sort of um, generic, you know, right to approve and they can approve or disapprove of anyone for virtually any reason and take their good married time doing it, which is terrible. Oh, I know that's got to be incredibly frustrating for all involved, you know, when there's that kind of a situation and it may in fact go through, but look at all the lost time and money that it costs to drag your feet on something when you just need to get out, you want to get out and you don't have the time or the money to wait for many, many months to go by. Right. Oh, I, I feel for you and I feel for the clients that have to go through that. Absolutely. But again, you're quarterbacking it and you're holding their hand and you're doing everything you can to make it work. And you didn't sign the lease, they did. And you know what you're up against. And and that's the the other issue that comes up is the personal guarantee, because so many people will also sign that lease with a personal guarantee that will just run for the length of the lease. And landlords, I've seen landlords many, many times on transfers, even when that personal guarantee has burned off still try to stick the seller on the ongoing personal guarantee. So you, oh, well, it's really not yeah. something you want to enter into as a novice. You want some help. And I'll tell you, your lawyer may or your attorney that you trust may not be your best resource for looking at that lease because they may look at the legal language, but they're not looking at the business principles of, I'm looking at how do I get in? How do I get out? What's it going to cost me? And how long do you have me tied to the lease? And an attorney is looking at, you know, your right to operate and all these other things, which are great things. But business wise, you need somebody really advocating. You you need to look at this like a marriage. 50% of all marriages fail. Well, you may be in a situation where the restaurant fails. What's your downside? How do we mitigate that at the front end of the lease and not have to solve for it at the end? 
That's excellent advice. Thank you so much for sharing that. How about the process of due diligence? And it all begins with you or your franchise or um, across the country, wherever they might be. But a certain process happens before the potential buyer does their due diligence. And you're putting, you're helping the seller to put their house in order. You're getting everything, you know, in order there. What, what does that process look like? And how long does that generally take? Listen, I'm all about marketing, but believe me, very few marketing ideas today are fully trackable where you know exactly where the business is coming from and you also know that it's generating a positive return on your investment. Now, I no longer own restaurants, but if I did, this idea would be at the very top of my marketing plan. It's all about birthdays. Everyone has a birthday and they are a huge, let me repeat that, huge source of business in your restaurant. Why wouldn't you want to focus in on reaching everyone with a birthday in your area? Well, you can with the Birthday Club from FanConnect. Best part is they do everything for you. You get a turnkey marketing system that sends birthday cards in advance, inviting people to celebrate at your restaurant from your area code, plus a sign-up strategy for your existing customers. New business, repeat business, higher check averages, and a massive customer database. You can get all this with the Birthday Club. Check it out and sign up now at getfanconnect.com forward slash birthday rockstar. So we, uh, at the point that we list a restaurant, we have an electronic checklist that generates from our system and tells the seller right then, these are the things that we are going to need. I mean, if it's not just an asset sale, if it's a business with cash flow, we're going to need two years of tax returns, the most recent P&L and balance sheet has to be dated within 90 days. We're going to need a copy of the lease and every amendment, particularly any of those that dealt with potential abatements or, uh, you know, relooking at the leases. Um, we're going to need a list of the equipment, understanding of how you've maintained the equipment, whose responsibility it's been within the lease, whether it's you or someone else. So there's a lot to get ready on the front end. And then if you have it all assembled, then the great thing is the minute you go into contract, we literally try to hold our contracts to about 14 days due diligence, okay. which is rapid fire. But if you think about it, the buyer receives from us a package on the front end that tells them, here's all the equipment, here's the operating hours, here's the lease, here's the most recent financials, everything about the business. So they're getting about a 25-page package on the front end, making a determination at that point that, yes, I want to enter into an agreement with an escrow subject to a due diligence period. Then we go into contract with escrow against the business. We open up a Dropbox. Everything that they need, we slide it over. How long does it take you to look at the financial information? And then you need an inspection. Get an equipment inspection. Get an HVAC guy in there. Get somebody to look at the cooler and refrigeration. You know, the thing, the big ticket items that you could deal with after the fact. So aside from cash flow and goodwill, the business, the furniture, fixtures, and equipment has a certain asset value. And of course, they need to put together the list. You just mentioned that. Does the valuation of that come from depreciation on a tax return? Does it come from assessed value with the local municipality that it gets reported to? Like, What is an accurate furniture, fixture, and equipment value, and how is that determined, and where does it come from? Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, so... When you're selling for cash flow, you're selling for a multiple of return on invested assets. So you don't add the assets on top of it. So you're clearly just looking at seller's discretionary earnings, net income, plus that single owner operator salary and any other items that accrue to the benefit of the buyer. But if you're selling assets only, then we look at it. And that's, there has to be, it, what I would like to tell you, there's a single rule of thumb. But there really isn't. Right. Um, every situation is different. Every situation is a little bit different. And where, you know, five years ago, we might have said that a fully equipped restaurant that wasn't making any cash flow at the time, but had everything in it, might sell for sixty or $70,000. Today, it may sell for 200000 because supply chain issues have made it so hard to get that second fryer in the six burner stove that you need to equip a, a restaurant. So asset sales in the past two years, because of supply chain issues and because of the number of restaurant 
owners that want to just go in and turn the keys on that new space and just change the paint that's actually driven some of that pricing up. So it's actually above what the asset value itself would be if you were just saying one stove, two fryers, um, all those things. How about that delicate balance between a seller saying too much to a potential buyer or what the actual reason for selling is? And <laughs> the seller may be completely desperate. I got to get out right now. I've had enough. And it's like my business is failing and I can't give it any much more versus something that's really valuable. But it's like, you know, it's not a smoke and mirror show, but there is a certain positive spin that there's still value here. But is there ever this sort of, I smell blood in the water, desperation, this guy, I know this guy wants to get out and I'm just going to lowball that offer because I know he'll accept it. Like, let's talk about that balance because it's a real game. It, it is. And it happens. And I coach my sellers and I coach them in this way. I said, pretend you're on the witness stand. And the answer is yes or no. Don't elaborate. Let me jump in and elaborate where we need to elaborate because they will. They will get themselves into a pickle with a buyer who will then, exactly as you said, smell that blood in the water and want to, um, you know, then come in with a lowball offer. And so I really uh, challenge the sellers to, you know, you're paying me for my advice. Let me give it to you. Let me maximize what you're going to get for the business. And then there are people who, who will just routinely make very low offers and just see if the seller will bite. And I always tell my sellers, listen, no matter what the offer is, let's counter it. There's never a time, like we're not insulted, just counter it. The answer can be yes, the answer can be no, but the right answer every time is just counter. So, because they just may be seeking to know what's your real number. So let's just give them the real number. This is, you had mentioned earlier, this is a very attractive business and everyone seems to want to be in it. Everyone thinks the restaurant business is so glamorous. <laughs> and obviously, if it is in fact a good time to sell sell your business, it's like, okay, we've talked about preparing it for sale and we've talked about you know everything you need to do. Where do the buyers come from? I'm guessing that you've assembled this national database of people interested in buying restaurants. And are those the first people you market to? Or is it a general business listing or a combination of all those things? Like, how are we getting the word out here to the right people that you think are most inclined to want to buy a particular business or property? Well, our domain, we sell restaurants.com has been out there for over 20 years and we have so much content and so many resources that people can get. So if you just Google, how do I buy a restaurant? How do I sell a restaurant? What is a restaurant worth? Odds are you're going to come up with an article that we've sourced over the mm -hmm. course of the past um, 20 years, which leads to a database of our buyers. We have over 115,000 buyers in our database right now. And those are people that are all looking for a restaurant. And it's kind of interesting because our database is huge and people don't really opt out of it. So even though somebody wants somebody sold or bought with us, they still like to get our emails. And we sent 11 million emails last year to that database. They still like to get the emails because they're always wondering, oh, is it a good time to sell? What else is on the market? And so they're looking. So we have very low opt-out rates. But um our our online website we host on we host our listings on all the other you know national restaurant for sale i mean business for sale sites like biz by sell and businessbroker.net and bizquest and all of those to drive traffic back to us but at the end of the day it comes up it comes down to follow up um i'm training franchisees this week we have a corporate standard in our firm that you touch every single buyer that inquires on a listing no less than three times in the first three days. And that's outside of the marketing that I'm creating for that buyer. So somebody inquires on one of our listings, they're immediately texted and it looks like it's coming from that agent and it says, when are you available to speak? They get an email from us. And then the next day, they better get a phone call. The following day, they get a text and a phone call. And the next day, they get an email. And so we really work to make sure that those buyers don't get so busy that they forget they inquired about a business. But then if, if they don't follow up, we just put them into our database. And they become part of those 11 million emails that go out every single year. And it just they it drags them in. They come back. The marketing pulls them back in. 
That is very confidence inspiring. <laughs> You've obviously all worked very hard to not only assemble the database and build those relationships, but now look how it paves the way for, you know, making everyone's dreams come true when they really want to sell a restaurant. That's when they want to sell and when they want to buy. I mean, you talked about this industry. I'm convinced the greatest thing that ever happened to the restaurant for sale marketplace is the um, Food Network and Bobby Flay in the 1990s jumping in because People love it. They get into it. They they are excited about the business, Definitely. and then they want to get out. And it's <laughs> it's lifestyle triggers, right? Like I've sold bars to young gentlemen who love it until they're married. About three years later, they come back and go, "No, we're starting a family. I need to trade this into a sandwich shop or you know something where I have more regular hours. I'm not out till two o'clock in the morning." Like, and then they'll trade that and go, "Okay, now I've mastered this business. I need to you know add on and do something else." So um, it's an industry you can get into, and you're not you're not stuck in one place. You can continue to grow. Can we now um, put a couple of scenarios together, some rough valuations, depending on a circumstance? If you could just give us some, you know, some ideas of what's typical right now, multiple of cash flows based on a typical leasehold restaurant, solid business, maybe even throw out a sales volume on an annual basis of a typical restaurant and what that would traditionally list for, not necessarily sell for, but What's a reasonable listing price and what can, you know, obviously the the seller realize in terms of the final sale price based on that? Well, I can tell you, and franchises, just so you know, do trade slightly higher than independent restaurants. And that was validated through a study that was done um, at Palm Beach Atlantic University, because there's always been that question of, are franchises more valuable in the resale market? And they are slightly more valuable. But I'll give you an example. I, I put a pizza restaurant, a franchise pizza restaurant on the market um, 34 days ago. Um, it was doing about $850,000 in sales. Now, his lease was ridiculous. He's in a smaller market. His his lease was 2.9% of sales. I mean, it, it doesn't happen ever. Um, but because of that, his profit was um, n- just nearly um, $200,000. So we put that business on the market for $550,000. We put it in contract in 34 days for half a million. That's very fast. Yes. <laughs> now, would you say that's atypical or what would be the average timeline from the time you get a phone call and you start meeting with someone? Well, it's, it's in to... contract, right? But sure. now we still have to close. And I can tell you this particular pizza brand, um, I'm going to present them with this candidate who will absolutely be approved, but they can't get them through training until October. Oh, yeah. So what is it? May? Right. Yes. Yep. So our time to close will be, you know, it can be uh, our average time on market is 186 days. That's from the minute the listing agreement is signed until we get to the closing table. Now, we do a lot of franchise resales and franchise resales sell for slightly more, but they take much longer to close because the franchise wants you to be trained and all of those things. Independent restaurants actually sell faster and close faster, which is great. I mean, we can get a great independent restaurant and still close it in 90 days. Um, you can't do that with a franchise most of the time. Is the valuation of a franchise related somewhat, if not mostly because of the systems in place and the turnkey nature of the business because you've been through training and every system is dialed provided you follow that system? I think that's a piece of it. I think also even though it's more rare today than it was when we started 20 years ago, the financials typically are forced by the franchise to be perfect and accountable and presented every single month. Mm -hmm. They force a a single chart of accounts. They force a single accounting system and it comes back to the numbers. People are buying cash flow, and those numbers are so easy to validate and they are, you know, they're right on top of it. And if you look at two, different restaurants of the same brand, you can easily compare the bottom line on the two and you can say, oh, this guy's not managing his food costs as well. This guy's labor's out of whack, but wow, where'd he get this lease? I want four more of those, you know, that type of thing. In your experience, what would you say or how many 
um, sellers really know what their prime costs are and they know how profitable their business is and they know their daily break-evens and all those sort of things. They've got the, they're taking inventory and they're calculating food costs and all these things that a buyer's going to want to know, especially if they're not changing the menu. If they're buying a turnkey business, they may change things. They may choose to just continue serving the guests that have come to appreciate that menu and that concept. But it's, you know, it's very important to know what those costs are. It is. And I would say it's a probably only about 50-50, Roger. It's it's okay. unfortunate to me because yeah. when I get your numbers, I'm throwing them into my worksheets and, and immediately looking at what's your food costs, what's your labor costs, what's your occupancy costs. And you know, once you know those three things, then you can figure out, you know, everything else about the business pretty easily. And understand, you know, is this business ever going to be able to make money? I had a guy call me um, and and on a business about, oh, I must have spent an hour and a half on the phone with him. And I just, you know, asked him, it was six months in, in, which is far too early to sell. You don't have anything to sell at that point. I asked him what his sales were. They annualized about 600000 And I asked him what his rent was. And it was $12,000 a month. And I said, listen, I can't get you there from here. And then I said to him, how much TI money did you take? And he's like, oh, I did so well. You know, the landlord gave me this, this or this. And I said, no, the landlord didn't give you any money. He's charging it back to you at loan shark rates. You're paying for that TI money. You'd have been better off to negotiate a lower rent because you've now got to get your sales north of 1.2 million for me to even start seeing any profitability on this on this restaurant. And he was like, I can't get there. I said, I know, I understand that. So now we're talking about pennies on the dollar of for invested course. assets. Wow. Or move the business really quickly and then sell it. <laughs> yeah. Oh boy. That's that's really a challenge for sure. I've seen that. Let's talk about a marketing plan or a, a proven marketing strategy. Do you see many sellers that have proven marketing plans that really deliver loyalty and repeat business and drive in new business in the door? Are they very proactive in that area as they should be? No, no. And again, I would say for the franchise uh, brands where they yes. force them into a local marketing budget and they've done the legwork to do like find a digital marketing agency for them or tell them how they geofence and geotarget and pull people in the door. Yes. Um, for for independent restaurants, there's still that learning curve. I, I always thought my background's marketing. I came from Fortune 100 companies. I was a VP of strategic marketing. And I always thought, you know, if I ever, ever don't do we sell restaurants one day, what I want to do is help the independent restaurant owner, give him a toolkit marketing in a box that says, these are the five things you need to be doing because I that's the biggest fail. I see new restaurants built, beautiful kitchens, beautiful spaces, and they, they build and build and build. And then when I look at their their pro forma and their budget for going forward, they have zero allocated for marketing. They truly believe that if you build it, they will come. And that is not a marketing strategy. No, clearly not. It's kind of yikes, kiss of death in some cases. Mm-hmm. Oh boy, overspending on concept and disregarding what people are really looking for and building a business from the ground up and then delivering amazing service that everybody wants to come back and tell everybody on social media and everything else that goes with it. And it's so cheap and easy yeah. now. I mean, the the ways in which you can market now with social media and, you know, digital mm-hmm. applications, it's so much easier than it was 10 years ago, even five years ago. So there, there are resources out there. Um, but I think a lot of restaurant owners need to get their kids to help them figure that out. Thank you for mentioning that because again, not not many people are as social media savvy as they should be. And the old school way of spending tens of thousands of dollars on traditional marketing and radio and print and all this kind of stuff, those days are long past, but there's still owners and operators doing that. And none of that is trackable and it's an experiment at best. And you're just throwing money out the window. So definitely, there's definitely people on staff in every restaurant that are super social media savvy and can really build your business if you incentivize them to do so. And Mm -hmm. just tap into that resource would be just great advice for sure. Yeah, absolutely. 
Let me ask in the residential real estate world, you know, there's always these things, comparable market analyses where, you know, recent sales get comped and all that sort of thing. Does that happen with them with restaurant sales at all in a certain market area in the past six months or so restaurants that have sold in leasehold situations that are about the same number of sales and you use that data in order to price a property or is that? So we use it internally. Yeah. Um, to price, I, absolutely. We use our all of our own transactions because we're selling so many as the comps. Um, because remember, if you are submitting a deal, well, I say remember, but I don't know if I mentioned this. If you're submitting yes. a deal to the SBA for lending, then it has to go outside of the SBA office, of the lender's office, yes. for an external valuation. And if that valuation fails, if it's overpriced or underpriced, and I think that's what maybe when they threw those renovations into your story, that's what happened. Then it fails on the valuation, then the loan will fail. So you have to get the the valuation right. So we rely on that internally. Unfortunately, like in a, in a market analysis that you can do for residential, all those numbers are public. But when someone signs a listing agreement with you and there's a, a private um, you know, situation between a buyer and a seller, there's nowhere that that information lives publicly. So a large company like ours can say, you know, we can give you comps um, without naming the brands. We can give you comps without sure. naming the locations and saying exactly what they sold for. But we know our numbers are solid because we've never had a deal not go through for SBA lending based on the valuation ever. So. Well, let me ask if someone is interested in listening to the podcast and selling the restaurant, obviously we sell restaurants.com is the way to reach your franchisees, wherever they happen to be. Um, is it, uh, they, someone instantly gets in touch with them based on their market area in terms Absolutely. of business? The, the minute that you go yeah. to we sell restaurants.com, there's a screen that comes up and says, are you in the market to sell your restaurant? You say, yes. Then I'm going to te- it. You automatically get texted and ask for your zip code so that I can get you to the right person, and they'll get a call, multiple calls probably within 24 hours. And there's initial cons- consultation. Um, one of your representatives goes on site and starts to take a look and put the whole thing together and and follow all the steps that we talked about today in that order. Absolutely, and and a very important mm-hmm. portion of that is that we do all valuations from day one. Our company has never charged to do that work. We just don't believe in it. We just don't. We feel like we want to earn the business and there are multiple firms out there and all they are doing is essentially collecting evaluation fees or valuation fees and never actually selling the businesses. So we tell people we named our company, we sell restaurants, not we list restaurants. We will give you your valuation as a courtesy and earn your business. And then we don't get paid until the closing table. Well, that's again, tremendous value. Can't thank you enough for being part of this. Have we missed anything? We really did a deep dive into the whole process and you are a wealth of information and knowledge, Robin. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. It's exciting when I'm interviewed by someone who's lived the business and lived through some of these um, situations. So no, I've enjoyed this so much. Thank you for having me on board. Well, I think this episode's going to have tremendous value to those out there, whether they're thinking of selling now or it's a possibility for the future. Here's the resource at WeSellRestaurants.com. Thank you, Robin. Thank you. That was the Restaurant Rockstars podcast, folks. Thanks again for tuning in. Can't wait to see you in the next episode. So please stay tuned and stay well. Wow, Robin, what a great conversation. Thank you so much for joining me and all the value and information that you offered our audience today, whether they're thinking of selling their business, a restaurant now, or in the future, you've given them lots of things to think about and how to get their house in order. Thanks again to our sponsors this week. Thanks to our audience, as always. Can't wait to see you next time, so please stay tuned. I've always believed in systems to run a really effective restaurant. They say you have a system if you can walk away and leave your place for a day, a week, or a month. And it's just as successful, just as profitable when you return, if not more so. Now, the staff are really the foundation of this, and it all comes down to the word empowerment. You know, if you've got really great people and if you can develop those people to have your back, And to run it as if they owned it, treat everything as if they had to pay for it, that's a super powerful system. Once you have the staff in place, it really comes down to three things. It comes down to, one, staff training. 
development, recognition, and rewards to create what I call your dream team, how to empower your team to think and act like owners and to treat everything as if they owned it and had to pay for it, and to deliver amazing guest service experiences to your customers, to serve and sell because sales are the lifeblood of your business, not allowing order takers on the floor, but teaching everyone to recognize opportunities and make suggestions that we know the customers will enjoy and appreciate. It all comes down to training, training, training. Number two, cost controls and maximizing profit. You need to know your critical financial numbers on a weekly basis, and it only takes 10 minutes, but you need to understand these things. How about your daily break-even? How much it costs you to open the doors to your restaurant each day? Inventory is not just walking around and figuring out what your order is that week. It's knowing the true value of your goods on hand at any given point in time. And you need this information to be able to calculate your true food and beverage costs. Your labor costs are also important. And running a weekly labor analysis against sales. If you know these things, I can teach you how to maximize your profit and control your costs. And then number three is what I call marketing firepower and affinity. You know, affinity is defined as a really powerful sense of loyalty and belonging where your customers become raving fans and they're like an army of brand ambassadors spreading the word for your restaurant. Well, all of this is included in the Restaurant Rockstars Academy. If you really want to take your restaurant to the next level, post-pandemic, things are heating up, customers are coming back, Now's the time to really maximize your opportunities, maximize your sales and profits, and create that dream team staff. Check it out at restaurantrockstars.com. It's the Restaurant Rockstars Academy. Thanks for listening to the Restaurant Rockstars Podcast. For lots of great resources, head over to restaurantrockstars.com. See you next time.